He is worthy, amen? He is worthy. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12. If you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's right there. Romans chapter 12. We're continuing to look at what it means to love one another. What it means to connect to each other. And today my concern is, is that we would have a connection that is sustainable. A love for one another that can last for the long haul. That's not here and there. That's not here today and gone tomorrow. But, the one, but one that the Lord sustains. That brings us together. That we could take the baton of the gospel from this generation and hand it to the next generation. Together. Together. We're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 9 together. We're going to focus our attention primarily today on verse 9. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you would build a family here that is supernatural. I pray that you would build a family here at Iron City that is miraculous. Oh, Lord, whatever selfish desires there are in us, whatever whatever inclinations there are toward wanting our own way and going our own way, God, would you crucify those? No, Lord, let our... Let our love for each other be founded in the love that we have received from you. Transform our hearts and transform our minds and transform our desires so that they are chiefly for you. And then from that love for one another. Give us a desire for each other. Give us a passion for each other. Give us a love for each other. Give us a commitment to one another. And Lord, we ask offering ourselves to you, offering our church to you, offering the future to you, that Lord, would you sustain us? Would you sustain us? Not our programs. Not our strategy. Not our methods. Not our personality. Our Lord, the Holy Spirit, dwelling among us. So Lord, we ask and offer all of this to you. And ask, O Lord, that you would do a transformative, empowering, miraculous work in us today. Let us understand love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
there are ways in which you can love your church and yet that love not last. Most of you probably know that intuitively. When we use the word love, love is, is complicated, isn't it? Because love can mean a lot of different things. Me, I love Zaxby's. You know, like some nibblers. I could eat some nibblers right now, actually. And I think sometimes when we're talking about the love that we have for our church, it's a similar type of love. I love my church the way that I love Zaxby's. That is, I love the products. I I love the experience. I love the service. I love that I get what I want. I love that I'm able to satisfy a craving. I love that I'm able to satisfy an appetite. But that type of love doesn't last, doesn't it? That type of love doesn't last. There was a time in which I loved Taco Bell, but I don't love Taco Bell anymore. Our love for products and our love for experiences and our love to have our cravings satisfied change as often as our cravings do. Change as often as, as our desires do. When I was a youth pastor, and this is how I knew I had found the end of my youth pastor days. One day, a 14-year-old girl come to me and she is bawling her eyes out. And I say, sweetheart, what is wrong? And I, I pull her to the side and we're talking. She's He broke up with me, right? I I can't even begin to calculate the number of junior high boys and girls that have told me that they are in love. They have found the person they're going to marry, right? And so I think sometimes one of the ways that we tend to say, I love my church, is we love our church the same way a junior high girl loves her boyfriend. He makes her feel pretty. He makes her feel good. He makes her feel desired. He makes her feel wanted. And as long as those feelings sustain, she's all in. But then when there is another guy in math class that makes her feel prettier, that makes her feel better, that makes her feel more excited, when when the old love begins to fade and cool off and a new love begins to kill him, she'll drop him like a bad habit. And how often? How often when we say we love our church, what, what comes into our mind is not the people. What comes into our minds are, are, is, is not our risen Lord. What comes into our mind is the feelings that it produces in us, the, 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 the passions that are, that are raised, the affections. And those things aren't even bad. But it's a love that can't last. It's a love that can't last. It's a love that must be accompanied by something deeper and richer, and more potent. Sometimes you hear a man often will say, I love my job. I love my job. What he means is, is I love the sense of lifestyle that it affords me. I love the purpose that I find there. I love the importance and the respect that I find there. I love the the sense of, of place that I find there. And I think sometimes we apply that type of love to our church. We think, man, I, I love that I, I have place. I, I feel like when I go there, nobody else knows me in the whole world, but there, there I matter, and there I, I, I'm important, and there I find a sense of significance. So long as those ministries that you're passionate about sustain, right? So long as the, the mission partnership that you're close to continues in partnership with us, right? You see, that can be a fickle love, can it? 
And there's nothing wrong with it. It's not impure. It's not wrong. Man, I hope you come and feel like you belong here. I hope you come and find a place of importance here. I hope you come and, and feel like that the world may neglect you, but in here you are, you are lifted up as other people seek to, to bring honor to your life. But that is a love that can't last. It's fickle. It's fickle. It changes. It, it ebbs and flows. It's up and down. Now, the type of love that is intended to be in the church it's the way that a grandparent loves their grandchild. It's the way that a brother loves a sister. It's the way that a, a, a mama and a daddy love their babies. It's the kind of love that isn't based on feeling. It's the, the kind of bond that transcends a sense of, of place. It's a, it's a kind of, of, of bond that finds its root in commitment and resolve and, and passion and, and say, you're my family no matter what happens. It's the kind of love, it's the kind of love that brings you together and keeps you together. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. You're, you're still my family. It doesn't matter that you blow it. It doesn't matter that, that it all unravels. It, it doesn't matter that you make a catastrophic decision. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you need more than you can give. None of that matters because you're my family and we're in this together. In fact, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if I'm having a day in which I like you very much or a day in which I wish you would just go jump off the side of the London Bridge. Because you're my family. Because you're my family. And when we read the New Testament, this is the context in which we are called to connect to one another. This is the context in which we are called to love each other and so demonstrate and display that we are, in fact, the disciples of Christ. So if you're familiar, some of you are probably pretty familiar with the book of Romans and some of you probably aren't very familiar with the book of Romans, but the book of Romans is probably the most theologically deep and rich text in all of our Bibles. In there, Paul is writing to a church that he's not been able to, to go and teach to in person. And so he begins to write down all the things that he would like to be in person to teach them. And, and instead he writes them out. And that providence gives us this theological depth that we're unable to really see with, with such vastness and clarity anywhere else. And so for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, we are talking about the largest, profoundest, deepest, richest, most wonderful of theological truths. He's, he's just loading up, man, and it's gospel, gospel, gospel. It's like, look at it from this side, this side, up there, down here. The gospel is everywhere, and it transforms everything about you from your eternal status to your church family. And so when you get into Romans chapter 12, it's the hinge point of the book of Romans. It's where he, he goes from these enormous theological realities, these enormous truths in which, which you were in denial of God and enemies of God, but God has loved you and saved you. God has adopted you into his family. God has elected you and grafted you into the, to the branch of Israel. And now, now here in Romans chapter 12, he says, so here's what you need to do about it. Here's how you need to act upon these realities. Here's how these things, these enormous truths transform who you are and what you do and how you relate to each other. And my guess is, is that for those of you who have grown up in the church, you've been around the church a whole lot, you've probably heard Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 a lot, a lot. 
They're, they're very, very popular. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You'll be, uh, th- this is pleasing worship to the Lord. Uh, do not be focused on the things that are above. Instead, be, be, focus on not being conformed to the things of this earth, but, but the renewing of your mind so that you might discern the will of God. Like these things are, are always brought and, and presented. And man, they're awesome. That's why, right? Like they're awesome. But I think, I think, that for most of us, there is a temptation to hear these ideas about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, about, about not being conformed to the world, but, but, but through the renewing of our mind, discerning the will of God. I think it's, it's a temptation for us in uh, uh, the society in which we live to interpret that from that, my responsibility is an individual experience. That the offering of my life as a living sacrifice is an individual experience that I have in which I offer myself to the Lord. That the, not the lack of conformity to the world and, and, and the renewing of my mind in the Lord and discerning the will of God is an individual experience that I, in my life, must decide for myself. And certainly, certainly, there is an individual component. There is always an individual component to faith. But I want you to realize, what I want you to notice is that if you look at verses 3 through 8 that follow it, have you ever, have you, has anybody ever preached to you verses 3 through 8 or just 1 and 2? Because remember, those little numbers, the, the little verse numbers, that are, they, they didn't used to always be there, did they? So Paul is building to a point. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, there's the family language, right? By the mercies of God to present your bodies, there's that living sacrifice that we talked about, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is an individual experience, right? This is, this is all about me and my relationship with God, right? This has nothing to do with all of you. I can do this in a tree stand. I can do this watching TV from home. I can do this walking through the woods. I can do this on a long job, man. My bicycle, that's my church. My wall to the woods, that's my church. I don't need all of this. I don't need all of you, right? Right? No. What's the very next thing that he says? What is this building to? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, among you, not to think of himself, <laughs> slay the individualistic spirit, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for us in one body. We have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So though we many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So so the idea here of us offering and being a living sacrifice, the idea here of us having and experiencing a renewal of the mind and and not conforming to the world is a corporate idea. It's a collective idea. It's about us together pursuing Christ. It's about us together growing in Christ. It's about our love for each other, our relationships for one another, that we have not been uh, offered to the Lord in a vacuum. We have been offered to the Lord in the church, in the church. That the idea has always been in Paul's mind that we would come together and that we would have this experience collectively. In fact, that we would come together, as he says right here, as one body with many members, all with different gifts, that we would take our gifts and that we would contribute to the faith of each other. That we would contribute to one another, that our minds might be more conformed to the ways of the Lord and not to the world. That we would contribute to one another, that we might be further renewed in the gospel. That we would contribute to each other to hold one another accountable and to spur one another on. That we might even more so offer ourselves 
as living sacrifices. And so it's with this idea that he gets to the sincerity of love. That essentially what he's saying is this is what it means to love each other. And so what he says in verse 9, well then, well then, since you have offered yourself as a living sacrifice, since you are experiencing the renewal of your mind, since you are one body with many members, so since you have gifts and each of you are contributing to the faith of one another with those gifts, since you are spurring one another on with good words, since you have responsibility to each other, since you have been transformed, let love be genuine. Let your love be sincere. Let your love be without hypocrisy. So when I ask, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that we would have genuine, sincere love for each other? I want us to see first, I want to see it from the negative perspective because I think that's in view. Then I want us to see it from more from the positive perspective. Negatively, what it means is, is that we must love without a mask. We must love without a mask. So it says there, let love be genuine. And it's interesting to me that the translators translate this in the positive because in the original Greek, this is actually stated from the negative. In the original language, it's actually let love be without hypocrisy. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the history of the word hypocrisy, but it actually comes from, from acting. Okay, so the, what, who the hypocrites were, the hypocrites were those who would wear masks and they would wear masks to pretend like they were somebody other than who they were. They would wear masks and they would, they would put on plays and they would put on dramas and, they, and by wearing those masks, they could essentially become anybody that they wanted to be. They could, they could portray anything that they wanted to portray. They could make you think anything that they wanted you to think. So, so those masks were a way to manipulate the imagination of the audience so they could suspend disbelief for just a second and bring them into an alternative world, right? And so when he says let love be without hypocrisy, what he's saying is, is let love be literally without a mask. Let love not be a masquerade. Let love not be artificial. Let love not be you pretending. Rather, let love be real. In other words, what he's saying is that masked love, masked love is selfishness masquerading as concern. That's what mass love is. It's, it's care for another person, or it's care for yourself pretending to be compassion for another person. Let me explain what this looks like. So have you ever uh, gone, and, and if, you have, if you say you haven't, I'm going to call you a liar, okay? Because you have. Have you ever tr- done something really nice for someone, and then you get and you think, huh, I wonder, I wonder, if, I wonder what they think about that, you know? Like, I, I wonder if they would accept me. Have, have you, did you ever have like a group of friends back in school and, and you would go and you would begin to, to say nice things to them or do what they, you thought they wanted to do and, and, and kind of align yourself with, with their ways of thinking and the whole thrust behind all of it wasn't that you actually liked it, it wasn't that you actually even liked them, it wasn't actually that you believed the things that you were saying, you were saying all of it, you were, you were giving the appearance of love so that you would be accepted by them, Right? We do this stuff kind of stuff all the time. That, that we love, uh, we give the appearance of love when really our goal is not to love the other person. Our goal is for them to love us. Our goal is, is, is to be liked. Our goal is to be highly thought of. Our, our goal is to advance our reputation. 
this is exactly what Paul is coming after here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without a mask. Don't masquerade your selfishness as though you actually care for other people. Don't, don't pretend like you have compassion for them when actually what you're concerned with is your own reputation and your own status. We can apply this to religious life too. That, that sometimes we do what we think we're supposed to do so that God will look down on us and think, wow, what a good dude. Wow, wow, man, she is the real deal. Look at how much she's sacrificing. Look at how much kindness she's showing. Look at how she always says the nice thing. Look at how she's always gentle with other people. Look at how she's always taking meals to other people. Wow, she's going to have my right, she's going to sit at my right hand when she comes to heaven, right? And your mind, in your mind, is not, I love God. It's not, I love her or I love him. It's, I hope this helps me. I hope this helps me. It's wearing a mask. I think there are, are two particular masks that are in view that, of, 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 in ways in which this, this masquerading love tends to manifest. And the first is, is that it's love, it's action without desire. It's action without desire. In other words, if you go and you look at verse 2, what he's talking about, when it says the renewal of your mind there, what it's talking about is an inward transformation. That the transformation of the Christian life is to be the Holy Spirit coming and, and applying to us the truth of who Jesus is, applying the law of Christ to our hearts so that now we begin to live differently than we lived before. Not because we have to, because we want to. Not because, not because we're being forced to, but because we've been changed and our desires have changed and our attitudes are cha- have changed and our perspectives have changed. And so this renewal of our mind speaks to the transformation that is happening inwardly. Well... What Paul is pointing out to us in verses 3 through 8 is that the way this new renewal of your mind plays out is it plays out by connecting into the body of Christ and beginning to serve each other. That now my, my desires have been changed and my inclinations have been changed and my perspective has been changed and my attitude has been changed. So now I want to give generously to you. I want to serve sacrificially for you. I want to build you up. I want to spur you on. I want to be faithful in my church. I want, to, I want to be a contributor in my church. I want to be a kind of person you can count on in my church family. I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to take up my responsibility, and I want to make sure that I'm bringing glory to the Father in heaven in all that I've done because, because Jesus has saved me, the Spirit has transformed me, and now that the renewing of my mind, I am no longer conformed to the outside conformity of this world. I'm no longer concerned with individual pursuits. Now, now I've been transformed with the renewing of my mind so that I am concerned about you. So that I care about you. So that it matters to me what happens in your life. It matters to me what happens with all of us collectively. But there's a temptation there. There's a temptation there. It's a temptation that only comes to those of us who have the hypocritical heart. It's a temptation that comes to those of us who are, who are tempted to, to pretend like we're one thing when we're really something else. It's a, a temptation that comes to us that we could put on a mask and pretend like we have love inwardly when we really don't. In other words, you might think of yourself as being like an oak tree and going and trying to find apples and glue onto your tree so that you can convince everybody else that you're really an apple tree bearing fruit. That, that you want to give the appearance that you've been inwardly changed. 
You want to give the appearance that you've been transformed. You want to give the appearance that your attitudes are different and your perspective is different and that your heart is different and that your desires are different. You want to give that appearance. And so now you go and you try to love each other and you serve in the church and you work in the nursery and you work with teenagers, not because your heart is, is in it, not because your passions are for it, but because you want people to think they are. Because you want people to think they are. Let me tell you what this looks like in, in the deep south here. Some of y'all aren't from the deep south. I'm fixing to give you insight into the culture. You're, you've come in here, you've been transplanted, and you're still trying to grapple with all that is us, right? You know, we're, we're kind of famous for the... Sandra, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, we're, we're famous for this southern hospitality, right? And so I guarantee... This probably got said in here today. This probably got said in here today. I bet you somewhere on our campus this guy... Hey... You guys stop by anytime you want to. But y'all, y'all just stop by the house one day. Y'all just stop by the house. Can I just give you Yankees some counsel? Nobody means that. <laughs> Nobody means that. If you stop by at their house, they're going to get in the flesh real quick. There's going to need to be an altar call because they're going to start saying things they really shouldn't say. They're going to start thinking things about you that they really shouldn't think. I, what do they mean? They just showed up unannounced. They're going to start hiding stuff under their couch and throwing stuff up in their closet. Because when they said, when they said, stop by the house anytime, what they meant was, I hope you have a nice day and have a good afternoon, a good life, and don't bother me. Y'all laugh because you know I'm telling you the truth. Because it is the worst day ever. It is the worst day ever. And it's always when the kids are screaming, the house is wrecked, when somebody takes you up on that offer, Right? Why is that? Because in the South, we value niceness over sincerity. We value niceness over sincerity. And we want people to think that we're hospitable. We want people to think that we're okay with them stopping by. We want people to think that we're that invested in the relationship. We want people to think maybe that our house is always that together and our family is always that steady but we aren't sincere about it. We don't really mean it. Our our niceness is actually a mask. It's hypocrisy, right? Oh, brothers and sisters, how many of our smiles are that way at church? How many of our, how are you doing and I'm doing fines are that way at church? In our relationships with each other, how much of them are built on the pretense of niceness rather than sincerity? How much of it is getting through the conversation as fast as I can without seeing like I don't care, but at the same time being able to get out and do what I want to be doing and talking with who I want to be talking to? So this is what he's getting at. It reminds me of what Jesus says to the, the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. This is the same word right here. The same root word right here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you mask wearers, you you pretenders, you actors, you people filled with superficial sincerity. For you are like a whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within, remember what we're concerned about, the transformation of the mind? But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleannesses. That in other words, what what Jesus says is that when we appear to love, but we don't actually love. When we appear to be nice, but we're not actually sincere. 
when we appear to be concerned, but really we're concerned with them liking us, when we, when we appear to, be, to, be, to have compassion, but actually what we're looking for is to be able to move past them and, and get on the other side of that conversation without having to invest and without being thought to be a jerk, we're like the Pharisees. We're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're sterling. On the outside, they are clean. On the outside, they are pure. On the outside, they are beautiful. On the outside, they cause you to turn their head. But it's fake fruit because inside is a casket filled with dead bones. Are you doing all of the right things for all of the wrong reasons? Are you doing all of the right things for all of the wrong reasons? Can I promise you that you're on a pathway to burnout if that's the case? You're on a pathway to burnout. The conversation about burnout among Christians in the 20th and 21st century has increased exponentially. I don't think Augustine or some of the early church fathers would have even had a category to comprehend it. And could it be because so much of our relationships and so much of our work and so much of our service and so much of our commitment to the church is not bound in a sincere love for the Lord and a sincere love for each other, but as desire to appear as though we have what we do not have and possess what we do not possess. Oh, brothers and sisters, there is a better way. There is a truer love there is a deeper passion that is available to you. So, so the first mask that we're tempted to put on is this mask in which we, we act, but we do not desire. The second desire that I, or the second mask that I want you to see is it's, we speak the right words, but we do not act. We say the right things, but ultimately we, we don't do much of anything. I want you to notice what he says in verse 6, we, uh, just, just before verse 9. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us what? Use them. Let us use them. That in other words, you have, you have offered yourself as a living sacrifice. God, God, here is my life. Do with it as you wish. Here is my life. Make it what you want it to be. Take from me what you would have for me to be. I, I offer you everything. So he begins to renew our minds, and he, and he fills you with the Spirit, and he, and he gives you gifts. And he says, all right, we'll go to work with one another. Partner with each other. Be a family to each other. And you're like, whoa, whoa, now I... I got my shows to think about. I, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got a little league to be considered about. You know, like I got a lot going on in my life. Like, like Lord, here is my life. Do with it what you want, so long as it fits within my schedule. So long as it fits within my budget. So long as it fits within the parameters, the boundaries that I have set for you. And you know what Paul says? Are you serious? No, 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 that's not love. That's not love. You have offered yourself to the Lord. He's renewing your mind. He is transforming you inwardly. He is giving you gifts. So you know what you need to do? Use them. Use them. Use the gifts that have been given. If it's prophecy in proportion of faith, if it's, if it's uh, generosity, man, be generous. If, it, if it's service, then serve. If it's exhortation, then exhort. Like go, do, build up one another. Demonstrate this love that you have for each other. I think the way that we're meant to understand verse 9 is that 6 through 8 are building up to culminate in verse 9. Let, let, read it like that. Let's, let's, so, so verse 9 is talking about the sincerity of love. And then verses 6 through 8 are showing us what sincere love looks like. 
6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Do you see that? Do you see that? Then in other words, the way that genuine love manifests is in service to each other, in care for each other, in ministering to each other. Now, we've already seen that can be abused, and you can try to manifest and have the superficial fruit that doesn't actually exist, and you can try to apply to you or make yourself look like something that you're not by, by doing works that aren't really coming from within. We've already seen all of that. That's, that's true. But that does not change the fact that love serves. That love is a verb, right? That love is something that you do. It's a commitment that you make. It's a, it's a, it's a, a decision of the will. It's, a, it's an investment of the life. It's a resolve. This is why James says in chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, what, what good is the confession that they have that Jesus is Lord if they don't live like Jesus is Lord? What, can, what, what good is a confession that says, I love Jesus' will and I love Jesus' church, but they aren't committed to Jesus' will within Jesus' church? What good is the words that are coming out of your mouth if the words that are coming out of your mouth don't lead to the expression in your life? Our confession is meant to lead to our expression. And the primary way that we express our love for Christ and the transformation of Christ is in our relationships with each other. You see... In, in Alabama, we are famously awful at politics, aren't we? Like, like even, in the last, even in the last couple of weeks, our Secretary of State, is, it's come out that he's been having an affair. And what is so frustrating about it? What's so frustrating is all of these jokers get up there and act like they have the moral high ground, don't, don't they? And they talk to you and they shake your hand and they have a smile on, their, on your face and, and they tell you that they can make it stop raining and the whole time they tell you they can make it stop raining, they're selling raincoats and they're out of the trunk of their car. Right? Is, is they tell you what is right and what is reasonable and what is good and they like to give the appearance that they are upstanding, narrow way, walking followers of Jesus, especially here in the deep south. And then we find out that our tax dollars have been going to help fund their own affairs, their own nefarious activities, and their lack of ethics. And what's the word that we use? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. Who do you think you are to tell me what we should live? Who are you to legislate morality to me? Who do you think you are? But I wonder, how many of us are spiritual politicians that say what we need to say to get through every conversation that we get through without any actual commitment to change, without any actual commitment to follow through on the words that we say? How many of us can say all the right things and show all the right smiles and shake all the right hands and then go home to our houses and be completely unmoved by the heartbreak that we've encountered and by the challenges that we've been issued and the conviction that has come. We go home having made everybody feel good and made everybody think that we're good and yet we go home committed knowing that we aren't going to change anything about our lives and utterly, utterly, utterly we are politicians of the faith. 
let it not be true. Let it not be true. Let the confession of our lips lead to the expression in our lives. Second, now I want you to see, we've seen it from the negative, that genuine love doesn't wear a mask. Second thing I want you to see is that we must love from desire. I want you to see it from the positive side. All right, so when we're thinking about this idea of of a renewed mind, I think the way that we should understand it when we look at verses 3 through 8 is that a renewed mind encompasses two simultaneous realities. A renewed mind encompasses two simultaneous realities. We see the first one here in verse 3, and it's self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. That when the Spirit has renewed me and changed me, He intends to take my eyes off of me. He intends to take my focus off of me. He tends to take my passion off of me, my zeal off of me. For by the grace given to me, we could, we could even say by the spirit that has transformed me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. In other words, to see the world as it really is, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, so that's the first reality that, that, in, that is encompassed in this idea of the renewal of the faith. And the second reality that we see is that the, the Spirit not only causes us to forget ourselves, but He gives us a passion, a passion for what is right. A passion for right. Now listen to what He says. Again, I think this is supposed to, my, my handwriting's not great there, forgive me. I think this is supposed to build into verse 9, particularly verse 8. Listen, look at verse 8 with me. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes how? In generosity. The one who leads how? With zeal. The one who does acts of mercy? With cheerfulness. What are these? These are all not so much uh, descriptions of what you're supposed to do. They're descriptions of how you're supposed to do it. They're attitudes of the heart. They're, they're, They're position. How do you give? Well, I give not because I'm compelled to. I give because I'm generous. Because God has given me a spirit of generosity. I, I, I go and I, I lead and I, and, I, and I lead and I work hard and I give it everything that I've got. Not because, not because I'm accountable to everybody else. Not because I want to look good in everybody else's eyes. But because God has given me passion for it. He has filled me with zeal for the leadership of his church. The one who does acts of mercy. Not because I have to, not because I'm going to feel bad if I don't, not, not, not because I, I'm filled with guilt, not because I want to, to portray that I have concern for, for the hurting or the poor or the broken-spirited when I really don't, but, but why? With cheerfulness, because it's the joy of my soul to do it. That, that, that in other words, what the Spirit does to the renewing of our minds is it changes the aim of our life. No longer is, the, is your passion for your own agenda. No longer is your passion for what you want to do and where you want to go and what you want to accomplish. No, now your passion is not for his agenda. He has changed your aim so that now your passion is for God's agenda, for Christ's, for his church, for his people. Is that not the agenda? If we could summarize the whole Bible this way, that God's agenda is to make his glory known by the blessing of his people. By the blessing of his people. And so as God begins to take your eyes off of yourself and lessen your passion for yourself, what he's seeking to do is to increase your passion for one another. You see, in other words, he's changing what you want. He's changing your desire. And that's what genuine love is. 
That's what sincere love is. Genuine love is ministering to each other because we want to. Not because we have to, because we want to. That's freedom. It's serving in the nursery. Can you imagine? It's serving in the nursery because you want to. It's staying up and, and opening up your house to, to D now for a bunch of teenagers that are going to make a mess and keep, thank you, because you want to. It's teaching because you want to. It's taking a meal to a new mother's house or to a grieving widow because you want to. It's having a desire. And y'all, is that not what freedom looks like? I'm not doing this because I feel guilty if I don't. I'm not doing this because somebody's going to think lesser of me if I don't. I'm going to do this because this is my joy. I'm going to do this because I love her. I'm going to do this because it's not about me and it's not about my schedule and it's not about my convenience and it's not about my comfort. No, God has changed my heart so that now it's about him. It's about his church. It's about his glory. It's about his people. And so I'm going to do it because I love him. Genuine love, genuine love is always the result of want to. See, a connection that's sustainable in the life of our church, the con- a connection that is sustainable in the life of our church is a connection that is built on want to. It, a connection that is sustainable, if we want to put this in a more theological way, connection that is sustainable in the life of our church, connection that will keep you here for the long haul is never for love, it's from love. It's never for love. I'm not doing it so God will approve of me. I'm not doing it so you will approve of me. I'm doing it because God does love me. I'm doing it because God has accepted me. I'm doing it because God, God has changed me. God has given me the kingdom. Look, look at how this, how this fleshes out. Chapter 5. Remember how I talked about how uh, the, the chapters are building toward chapter 12 where there's going to be this, this pivot point? Well, there's a word used for love in the Bible, agape, that the... It was a very rarely used uh, Greek word. And, and the word literally means a decisive love, a determined love, a, a willful love. A, 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 I, I have decided and committed myself to love you and nothing is going to change that. Well, through the first 11 chapters of Romans, you know how that's used? To describe God's love toward us. Romans chapter 5, but God showed his love, same word, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8, it, it moves from, from chapter 5, this, the way that God saves us by his love. For chapter 8 is talking about how God sustains us and keeps us by his love. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so now he says... You were loved when you were an enemy by Almighty God. He decided to love you. He committed to love you. He accepted you. He brought you in. Romans chapter 8, you were adopted by that love. You were kept by that love. You were placed in his grip by that love. Nothing will separate you from his love for you. Now, 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 let love, your love, be genuine. Let your love look like that because that's been your experience. See, there is a way to love that is exhausting. And there is a way to love that is energizing. There is a way that to, to love that is exhausting and a way to love that is energizing. Some of you grew up with a dad that you couldn't make happy. Everything that you did, he wanted something better from you. 
everything that you did and it never measured up and it was never good enough. And you would play football on Friday night and you would think, man, dad, dad, I just want you to tell me that you're proud of me. And you'd go and he'd tell you about every tackle that you missed, every blot that you choked on, every ball that you dropped. You would work in school and you would come home and you think, Dad, I just want you to tell me that you love me. Tell me that you're proud of me, that I did a good job. And you'd bring your report card home and he would say, is this the best that you got? I've see, I see how much you're slacking off. You go to work and all you're thinking about is, Dad, Dad, tell me that I'm, I'm raising my family up the right way. Tell me that I'm a good husband. Tell me that I'm a good dad. Tell me that you're proud of me. And every word that comes out of his mouth seems to be a slight. And you're saying, Dad, I want your love. I want, I want you to, to, to care for me and to draw near to me and to express that to me. Some of you have been in marriages like this. And eventually you get to a place where you're so worn down and you're so exhausted. Maybe it happened in junior high, maybe it happened in high school, maybe it happened in adulthood, but you just throw up your hands and you say, I'm out. I'm out. No matter what I do, he's never going to love me. No matter what I do, it's never going to be enough. It's exhausting. I can't keep up. I can't keep going at this pace. I can't live for his acceptance that way. Oh, brothers and sisters, how many of us have viewed our relationships with God that very same way? How many of us have, have viewed our relationships with God that very same way? Like he is the grumpy dad up in the bleachers, nodding in disapproval when you blow it. No, that's not the picture. That's not the picture. See, some of y'all had a different kind of dad. You had a dad that when things didn't go your way and you, broke, and, and, and you, you blew it big time, he, he let you know that you blew it and he taught you how to do it next time, but then when it was over, what did he do? He pulled you close and he said, you're my son and nothing's going to change that. You had a dad, which on Friday night, you missed the tackle and you, you tackled air and the guy scored the touchdown and you let the whole team down and you were the reason, you were the reason that the team won. And when you got in the car, man, your daddy wrapped his arms around you and said, son, look at me, look at me. I'm proud of you. You're my boy. Some of you had dad stand with you down at the altar when that bride was coming down the center aisle and he looked over at you son he said son son you can do this because I'm going to be with you every step son I'm so proud of where you've come from and do you know what's your reaction next time I'm not missing that tackle next time I'm not missing that tackle I'm going to work harder next time I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the kind of husband and dad and father that honors my dad because my dad loves me. My dad loves me. He cares about me. You see, you're doing the same task. You're called to the same standards. You're, you're pursuing the same works, but one is exhausting and the other is energizing you to press forward. Church, 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 you already have the acceptance of your father if you're in Christ. You already have the approval of your father if you are in Christ. You already have the love of your father if you are in Christ. So now love each other. Now love each other. See, the only thing that you can do for a lifetime, the only thing that you can sustain for a lifetime are the things that you want to do. The things that you want to do. Not the things that you feel guilty if you don't do. Not the things that you're, that, that, that you're trying to do to, to build up your own uh, good feelings and your own good vibes or whatever other nonsense they're, they're talking about these days. No, it's doing what you love, for whom you love, 
with all of your heart, with a self-forgetting passion. Oh, church, that's the love I want us to have for each other. That's the service I want to see. That's why I want you to serve in the nursery. That's why I want you to work with the kids. That, that, that's why I want us to go and, and, and take meals and show up at funerals and visit hospitals and, and call and check on the widows. That's why I want us to do it. because Not because it's easy. Not because there are no hard days. Not because there are no days in which you want to lay down. But because we have been loved by Almighty God. Transformed by Almighty God. And now we desire to bring glory to Almighty God. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.